Hey, ladies and gentlemen, hope you enjoy this episode of the Web3 show with the one and only Elio Trades. In today's show, we discuss the pending FOMC meeting, what Jerome Powell is going to suggest with his body language, with his words, the expected 75 basis point rate hike, and everything in between. We also talk about the current state of gaming in the NFT market, what it could look like in the future. And of course, we discuss the story of the NFT market today, art gobblers. We talk about the price action how wild it's been, its potential connection to the Blur marketplace and everything in between. We're joined by very talented YouTuber Giancarlo from Giancarlo Buys Tokens. So overall, another electric episode of the Web3 show with Elio Trades. Hope you enjoy it. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and good morning on the West Coast. This is the Web3 show with the great Elio Trades. I'm your host, P.O., here with my co-host, the one and only Nifty Nick, the funniest man in the business. And then, of course, Elio Trades, co-host extraordinaire, content creator extraordinaire, and the founder of Imposters, one of the best blockchain gaming ecosystems that you're ever going to come across. On this show, we discuss all things NFTs, crypto, Web3, stocks, finance, macro, real estate, art, gaming, whatever. Uh, It's a great show. We absolutely love doing it. I'm recording live right now from the hotel room in London from across the pond. So we got a a bunch of time zones represented right now. We're going to have a great time. We got a whole lot of stuff to talk about. Elliot, Nick, what's going on, gentlemen? What's going on? We, uh, we're coming back in. It's the, uh, the cultural event where an elderly man decides the value of all things with his uh, subtle word choice and body language. This is the cultural ritual we, we really can't get enough of. Uh, how about, what do you think, Nick? Uh, I'm very excited about it. Uh, we'll see what happens. I'm more, I'm more interested in seeing what the CPI uh, reflects, which sounds like, what did we say? It was a week later. Um, or November, maybe November 15th. I may be off with the date. Somewhere somewhere between now and the 15th. That's that's when we expect it. That's the one I'm most interested in. Obviously, the words that he uh, that Jerome Powell uses is going to be monitored closely. I mean, there is some... Uh, what, what I had sent you a link this morning um, with the interest rate on the savings bonds, which came down from like over 9% down to like 6.2 or something. And uh, just seeing that made me think, all right, you know, there's a lot of people that are uh, buying. There's a lot of demand at this point for uh, government debt. So uh, that seems to be where people are moving their money. Uh, I was actually looking at it. The short term T-bills are almost as high as the, uh, I don't know if it was, well, actually, yeah, I guess these savings uh, bonds are only guaranteed for one year. So it would make sense that it's close to whatever the one-year interest rate is, which is still incredibly high. I'm considering just buying a little bit um, because it's getting uh, comparable with uh, Gemini, uh, their interest rate. So like, which would you rather have it in? Gemini's earn program that you have really not a great understanding of, or would you rather have it in US government debt? And uh, for the time being, uh, as long as everyone seems remains confident and it seems like that's something that... uh, People are interested in buying. So yeah, the, I, I've been personally looking at that to see what happens. I'm less interested uh, in what Jerome Powell says um, in the sense that I don't know that there's anything that's like unexpected uh, that, that's going to come out. So um, yeah, uh, that, that's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm, I'm really interested in, ju- I'm more interested in just watching the data. Yeah, yeah, so the that bond that you're talking about is its variable rate. Just to be clear, you, you're talking about a variable rate bond um, that has a penalty uh, for unstaking. Um, it's like uh, it's a, <laughs> got a bit of tokenomics going on here. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean that that's a juicy, juicy savings rate. I mean nobody can can bat an eye at what was it nine percent, nine point six percent earlier today. Um, and obviously, the markets reacted with this like euphoric explosion upwards. Clearly, they're expecting you know Grandpa to say something um, super nice. Um, but you know, if he didn't sleep last night, or if he ate, um, you know, he didn't bring his Pepto Bismol, we could be in for a really rough ride here. I'm, I just don't understand this. Um, there should be a better. There's got to be a better system. Is this better than inflation? Really, I guess is the real question. Uh- <laughs> Well, no, because you're you have your money diminishing. Sorry, Pio, sound like you wanted to say something real no, quick. No, no, go, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, 
The thing I was going to say, what's odd though to me is it says twice a year we set the inflation rate for the next six months. Uh, so those are uh, inflation-adjusted uh, savings bonds, the Series I, and it was higher. So I guess maybe they're saying that it's come down. Is that is that what we're to expect from looking at that? I don't know if these are like set. You said it's variable. So is this set by the floating floating market, like just supply and demand, or is it is this just set by uh, whatever uh, the Treasury says? I think. Oh, uh, I think that I maybe what it is. Some... That I'm... Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 yeah, I, I, it changes. I'm not sure exactly the inputs, um, but you know, I was, as as you were saying it, I started asking people smarter than me about the bond market, and they started saying, you know, various different things. So I, I I'm actually not educated enough to speak to this amazing crowd about it, but uh, but yeah, I mean, look, all eyes are on Jerome Powell. Whatever he says, how he says it, how he looks, how he feels, uh, you know, it's it's. It's kind of crazy, uh, but that's just what matters right now because it feels like everyone's agreed that it's a seventy-five percent or a point seventy-five percent raise. And then the question is, what happens next? Is he going to signal that they're going to slow down? Does slowing down even mean a pivot? Um, and how can we pivot? Because the U.S. economy, based on a lot of factors, is quote booming right now. Uh, so why would he pivot when inflation is also still pretty high? Um, yeah, I mean, it seems as though the market goes green for a couple of days uh, or a couple of weeks. And once again, the new bull market FOMO is just uh, is just uproarious. Um, and I feel like we've seen this happen cyclically over the course of this year. Um, I'm just I'm just going to kind of just say it, it's getting to this point where I don't even have I don't think there's any prizes in predicting this stuff. Uh, I mean, there is there's a there's definitely a prize. But the reality for me is that uh, it just seems as though we just kind of have to wait. Um, and I don't think anything's going to change so fast that there's like a need to front run it. Uh, what, do, what do you think about that? Well, the thing I, that was just popping through my head was like lagging versus leading indicators. And to me, like Jerome Powell is actually a lagging indicator. Uh, it, it, well, actually, he operates as both. But in terms of whatever he's commenting on, you mentioned the other day, like, oh, maybe he does things based on um, internal uh, inflation expectations versus... Uh, the actual CPI reading, uh, which also, like uh, P has pointed out, like Bitcoiners don't even like give two craps about that um, that actual indicator because they say it's wrong. The reality is the market reacts to whatever that number is. I don't know. You know, it's hard to predict all these different things. Ultimately, what what I know is that like my own actions. Uh, outside of taking flyer bets on the CPI report, which is super fun because it's like just wildly volatile. It feels like the the closest to a casino bet earnings reports would be the other one. Um, these are like the two times when any of these things are fun to watch. But ultimately, like my own investment theses have not like do not adjust uh, with any of this. The only distinction is like how long are we going to be in this uh, like inflationary situation and. Uh, Depending on that, uh, that indicates when uh, the the market will actually bottom. Um, theoretically, the market bottoms well in advance of. Uh, I shared some chart the other day, or some. Uh, I was mentioning a podcast that had popped up for me that I that I was uh, watching, where they had these charts indicating essentially that the the uh, most the leading indicator of all leading indicators is actually the market, uh, and that uh, the S and P five hundred. Is probably the one that you actually want to watch as to whether or not like that's going to bottom in advance of inflation peaking, I guess, slash bottoming, uh, it, it hitting its max, and then uh, we should see that uh, downturn or turn 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 downward so that we have a lower inflation rate. We should also see uh, GDP growth slowing uh, after the market bottoms. So. I'm the the thing that I'm only watching is just the market, and I'm hoping, oddly enough, uh, that we actually see it go below. Outside of there was a daily tick below the essentially 3,500 is the low that we've uh, seen with the S and P. I'd like to see it down around like 2,800 or something like that, which is a little aggressive. Um, but that would be awesome, and I would be really uh, aping in as they would say uh, at that point. So that's, that's pretty much all that I watch is saying, hey, where's the market? That's the biggest indicator. And yeah, traders do look uh, look for this. The, the thing that uh, I would say would really move things in a dramatic way 
would be if we just got an insane inflation report uh, that comes out sometime in the next like six months that says, holy shit, we have 15% inflation in the US. This ain't good. This is not under control. Uh, this is going to mess things up um, in the market. Uh, and, and so we see um, a, a, a like one day flash crash or something like that. that that's kind of what I would be waiting on, um, but I'm ready. I'm on yeah, standby. I, 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 I mean, I guess the question is, is the goal to limit inflation? Because right now, until like employment is is near all-time lows and the jobs market is coming in like ridiculously, ridiculously hot, which is leading to services uh, CPI creeping up. So that's like the actual cost of services has not been as impacted as like the cost of, you know, um, you know, random uh, consumer price uh, uh, numbers. So it's like if this gets, con- if there's some contagion into the services uh, industry where all of a sudden services start exploding up in value, um, that sort of becomes, you know, I think what they were trying to mostly stop. But the question is, how how can they pivot now before we've actually seen meaningful drop offs in inflation? Everyone says these are la- lagging indicators. But then, you know, you have some great macro experts saying, hey, look, what they're really looking at is not necessarily the CPI data, but the annualized CPI data. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, but essentially, there's like an annualized averaged out, you know, metric that that actually is what they're looking at um, from the Fed. And so, you know, in the end, um, I'm not going to LARP as a macro expert because I've been, you know, even though I've been focused on this for like, I don't know, eight months or nine months now. Um, I'm certainly not an expert compared to these people who've been doing it for 15 years. So I'm deferring to, you know, people much smarter than me. And I think that's what we should all be doing. But in the end, we're all here. We're all going to catch if, if there is a clear pivot from the Fed where they start, you know, meaningfully dropping interest rates and saying, hey, look, it's time to like re-enliven the assets market. Uh, I don't think anyone who's really hyper-focused on it right now is going to be too far off of the bottom um, in their investing strategy, especially if this is a new bull market that we're starting. Something that I, just from my own experience, and I don't know what your uh, your thoughts are on this, I find that economists are way more effective at explaining and articulating what's going on right now and why that matters versus making predictions. Historically, uh, economists are awful traders uh, and traders um, are mediocre economists, basically. They may have a decent understanding, but really uh, they're better at just uh, trading swings in the market. And, and so what's, what, and the reason that I mention this is, is that any movement of my own capital is largely not motivated by um, uh, what the economists are uh, saying, with the exception that, Hey, if an interest, if the bonds move over a level that it's higher than me holding my assets in like a stable coin or something like that, I'll just go and do that. My sister was texting me about uh, a savings account this morning that keeps going up. She has, uh, you know, cash sitting in uh, ally savings. And she said, oh, it's two and a half percent. And I'm like, well, my Gemini is making five and a half percent right now. Neither of us are outperforming inflation at the moment, but uh, it's not awful. Uh, and so, uh, that that's a good thing, but that you know whatever the economists do, obviously the the uh, the Fed it does matter and it has an impact. And when they decide to print money, that's a good indicator that hey, this thing is finally moving. But if you moved your money um, by the time they end up taking those actions, you've kind of missed the window of like uh, positioning yourself. And I I think I prescribe more broadly in my portfolio to an approach that PO would advocate for, which is really just dollar cost averaging and buying on the way down. I tend to be a little more trying to time the bottom, which is a fool's errand, as they say, but I still try to do it a little bit uh, for better or for worse um, and buy into some of these things. So yeah, I well, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's two sides, right? Because as a content creator, there's just this urge to always share the highest, um, you know, most most exotic plays. I certainly did that throughout, you know, a lot of the the last few years. But what I realized is, you know, especially when you get a bigger account, um, there's a uh, like you guys are becoming quite large, and and it's one of those things where most people simply don't uh, move very fast, or it takes them a long time to hit the buy and hit the sell button. Um, so, you know, the types of stuff that I'm going to be covering in my content are really long-term plays and the types of stuff that I might be doing, that's like a more short-term high beta play, uh, that stuff is going to be, you know, not necessarily what I translate into my content. So I'm just trying to focus on, you know, strategies that I think can, you know, 
I guess be uh, have the most amount of people benefit from, which are which are sort of multi year swings. Obviously, traders will always take advantage of the technicals. Like for example, every single FOMC day has seen um, a two to four percent intraday move on the S and P, which is mind boggling, right? That's like more volatility than there should be on any given day. And so obviously the traders are taking advantage, even though half of those or more have reversed the next day, we've seen this like flip-flopping by the markets that is pretty crazy. And so um, it's really like the trading side of it and the actual investing side long-term are kind of segmenting. And I want to kind of focus on like, hey, where's the world going to be in 2030? Okay, we know, like we can guess with a high probability that these trends are going to continue. And so as long as there's not like a world-ending macro storm that could send our bags infinitely lower like we're in right now, I just kind of want to wait for the storm to pass before I start aggressively allocating to those trends. That's my mindset, but I'm with you. Like, hey, where's the next art gobblers? I'm certainly trying to get into it. Um, but I don't think that's necessarily what I want to talk about on my content. Yeah, and uh, we, we leaned into discussing pedophiles this morning thanks to art gobblers, <laughs> so that was really exciting. Uh, what? The, uh, what were you going to say? <laughs> he, what? he was confused. He doesn't understand, Nick. Because oh, in the NFT th- space, if you're not glued to the screen 24-7, uh, you miss the pedophile uh, subsection so, of the market. But go ahead, Nick. Well, basically... it. I had not listened to the audio and I saw it at a glance. I'm just going to, in two seconds, summarize it and we'll move on because it's not even worth uh, discussing. I mean, it's only worth discussing from the standpoint of how disturbing this content was. There's basically videos circulating of some of the uh, content that Dan Harmon had created, which weren't even, Justin some were cartoons. Roiland? J- Justin Roiland or Dan no, Harmon? No, and Dan Harmon, basically, uh, who's uh, who works on Rick and Morty with him. I don't even Co-creators. know if Justin Roiland... Yeah, I think he did maybe some of the design of the cartoon one. There was multiple videos, basically, of them. I don't know if they're even trying to make it. it maybe it's their attempt at dark humor, but there's nothing humorous about it. It's basically just d- disturbing pedophilia and violent acts, basically, against uh, y- like infants and young young boys, basically. It's really weird. It's really disturbing. And it's now circulating and it's sort of like, oh, okay. And the only project that that uh, kind of reminds me of was, what was the like uh, uh, Jungle Freaks? Jungle Freaks. No, well, Miladies, I didn't even go and research just because it sounded like, like it sounded like 4chan was hanging out there. Um, this one doesn't because I think people respect, or uh, Rick and Morty has a large fan base. I just wasn't familiar with this other stuff, and it's just gross, so I just moved on from it. But anyways, the bottom line is there's a lot of conversation circulating around that, and ever since then, the floor has doubled uh, from 15 ETH to 30 ETH on that project, which is uh, pretty gross. Um, I don't know. We'll see what happens with this, and I, I, like, I, I, I wish I could unwatch uh, some of the stuff that I saw there because it was just... It, it, it's it's disgusting. Like it's not it's not entertainment. So, anyways, that's my uh, comment on it. Pia, I don't know if you are yeah, right. I'm I'm up to date. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Little side tangent, just to bring it back. I mean, all I heard when I was listening to Elliot and listening to Nick, uh, you know, discussing back and forth the current state of affairs with inflation, with the bond market, with the FOMC meeting, is what a mess we've created by printing forty percent of the overall money supply in what was essentially an eighteen to twenty-four month period as a gnarly reaction to a global pandemic shutdown. Holy shit. And now, uh, you know, the Fed is trying to kind of undig that hole. And it seems like we have way more time to go. I just, I think the most fascinating part is what Elliot points out about how the economy is booming and yet uh, inflation is sky high that they just can't figure out what lever to pull to fix this. Nick, you have your hand raised. What's what's going Uh, on? Two things I was going to say. One is, uh, Facebook still, uh, their stock continuing to drop. Um, so that's interesting to observe, uh, as well as Amazon even went down. We've seen uh, a low of uh, 92.50, uh, and it's back down at that low. People just hating the stock. Um, I'm curious, uh, from, from John Carlos' standpoint, you're, you know, well, didn't you have a chance to introduce John Carlo yet, Nick. You, can I give him an introduction? Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll permit that. 
<laughs> we got prolific YouTuber, the host of Giancarlo Buys Tokens, absolute NFT veteran, and one of the most researched and most, uh, you know, methodical and thoughtful NFT market participants that I know. Uh, uh, maybe a little bit of a, a protege to LEO Trades, if you will, on the NFT side, if I can say <laughs> oh, that. Um, <laughs> uh, Giancarlo, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming today, buddy. Thanks, Theo. You, you guys hear me all right? Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, thanks for the uh, double header today, Theo. Um, and always the intros are amazing. That's, that's half the reason I, I show up to these, is just to hear you, your flowery language around all this. The uh, and Elliot, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of you as well, man. And, and I saw your sort of heartfelt thread, I think it was a couple of days ago, uh, about some, some of the struggles of, of being a big creator. And, you know, I resonated with that as a, as a, as a YouTuber on a smaller scale. Uh, in the JPEG scene, but yeah, that that was a uh, very very nice to read, very heartfelt thread. Nick, did you want to say something there? Uh, yeah, was, I'll, actually say, say. I'll actually say thank. First of all, thank you. Um, and uh, and yeah, you, your content on YouTube is fantastic. So everyone definitely check out Giancarlo. Um, but I definitely feel for some of the um, sort of NFT native content creators that had this this uh, I saw just explosive growth. And you know the 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 scene is so much less mature um, that the types of reactions that I saw uh, even on like NFT Twitter and NFT content creators, like the reactions, for example, recently to Art Gobblers, which I had no part in. Um, you know, like people are people are upset. Not that you know these creators were even selling their assets or flipping or anything, but the fact that they were even included. Um, it seems as though it's really hard to do anything uh, right that benefits you in any way. Um, so I definitely sympathize um, uh, with with a lot of this sort of new class of 2021 content creators uh, in the NFT scene. So keep on fighting the good fight. Um, yeah, thanks. And and, and what, what one thing I'll say on on the content is. Yeah, you know, the art gobbler sort of shows this point that, you know, doing any content around NFTs, I won't say it's necessarily harder than, than like general crypto, but it's definitely weirder given the small supplies and, and the outside influence of, you know, just, just people with large audiences. Uh, and it's like, you know, I, I watch a lot of content on YouTube around like music reviews, for example. And that's like, it's like, it's awesome to be able to, to be able to say like, oh, this album's actually great, or you know, this artist is on the rise, or whatever. Things that you can't really talk about in NFTs, given you know the impact that that you might have on that collection, and so it just really limits what a creator is able to do in terms of commentary when they when they really have to stay away from like specific names and projects and just talk about like general high you know high level. Here's where the market's going. Uh, so I hope you know. I think the space will eventually move away from these small collection sizes. And, and I think creators will be able to speak about larger collections and it'll be more free in doing that. But currently, yeah, it's just a weird, a weird time. I'm, I'm curious, uh, Giancarlo from the, uh, you, you have a depth of experience on the analyst side. Well, a, I'm curious, what were, before uh, you were doing the NFT uh, content, were, were you at a, I forget you were at a finance firm, right? Yeah, I was I was at a uh, I was doing sell side research, so basically stock analyst uh, type of stuff. You know, mainly in the gaming space, I would cover like EA, Activision, Take Two, um, on all the macro stuff that you guys were talking about earlier. That you know, pretty early on, I I gave up on trying to understand that beyond just like reading headlines and all that. Uh, I just realized you know it, it would probably do more harm than good with me thinking I can come up with some like big brain thesis based on like what I'm what I'm reading there. Um, so yeah, I don't really have too much to add on, on what's going on with rates and all that. Um, but yeah, do, so, so I'm, I'm mostly, I mostly did like fundamental stock analysis. Well, so I'm wondering at that side, uh, so that's an area where I think like, look, oh, I ended up in the NFT space, pr uh, primarily cause it was, I, I, I bought into the uh, thesis behind it and, and actually, I mean, credit to G money. He, he goes around and says the same thing over and over again, which is what a lot of people do, which is his, he presents kind of the fundamental thesis behind NFTs and specifically PFPs, uh, which he presented that concept when he bought uh, his uh, CryptoPunk ape. And, uh, I, and I immediately was like, oh, this makes sense. But right before that, for like through uh, COVID, I was doing a lot of stock trading because that's where a ton of the action was and a ton of the opportunity existed. And you, you could make a, a lot of returns. In fact, 
some of my stock options trades maybe were like equivalent to the sort. Actually, no, it wasn't as equivalent. The board ape buys. I, I don't think there's anything comparable that you can actually have made last year to buying a board ape for a few hundred dollars. Um, but I had a stock options trade that got pretty damn close from shorting uh, the S and P uh, leading into the uh, COVID crash. But I'm wondering from your standpoint. I know you're really into the NFT side of things, but uh, and you said you were uh, analyzing the gaming side. Do you do uh, much stock investing as well? No, no. I prior to NFTs, I, I was just like an index uh, investor, so I would just have it like in the S and P or uh, VT Sachs. I think was a Vanguard index, uh, and so no, I, I didn't really do any stock picking. Uh, I think if you really pay attention to what goes on, you know, the, the type of analysis you need to do to actually know a thing about a, a stock in order to buy it you get to the point where you're like okay if this isn't like my full-time job then i have just no edge and i'd rather just you know buy buy the index and i, I figured that out pretty quickly and so you know i i haven't been stock picking for for years but you know this is the first time where uh the skill set that crossed over for me was that because i was covering the game companies a lot of their value came from the trajectory of games often before they even release you have to sort of have an, an opinion on like okay, you know, what is, what is Overwatch going to do? And, and what is the sentiment around that? And how is that going to affect, you know, the, the, the growth of the entire company? And so that sort of, you know, crossed over into NFTs and, and a lot of that is, is the same here. Mm. That, ma- that makes a ton of sense. So now, uh, how are you thinking about that? Like in terms of the a- a- NFT space and, and the fact that you're on the gaming side makes you even more uh, incredibly relevant on the sense that uh, Elio's out here building uh, a gaming uh, gaming business. I'm wondering, like, what's this stuff that you're looking at today in terms of? Uh, and actually, I'm curious on the NFT side. Is your portfolio like how is it? How does gaming fit into your NFT portfolio today? So the the only gaming NFT that I own is Digi Daigaku. Uh, and I you always got of- the good shit, Giancarlo. You always I mean, got bought, the good I, stuff. I didn't buy. I didn't buy it pretty cheap. I bought it. I bought it at a fairly high price, but. Uh, yeah, I like I like that one a lot. Uh, and I don't know if there's many, you know, th- right now I've been selling a lot of PFPs. My, my general thesis over the next like, you know, 24 months, I say is that, yeah, gaming is, is slowly going to become a, a bigger part of the space and, and eventually dominate it. Uh, and PFPs as like these, these brands that begin with PFPs and then sort of expand out. Uh, I think that's just going to dwindle uh, over time as, as we're seeing right now. And then the other like growth trajectory I see is content creators, large ones, traditional, you know, YouTubers, TikTokers, um, opening up to on-chain experiences, uh, and you know, using those to do like mini games or events or contests, but at a much larger scale, like like you think like Mr. Beast uh, style con- uh, content, and you know, hitting a million people and with, with either free NFTs or, or cheap NFTs and, and their limited utilities. It's not like an open-ended brand that's going to live forever. I think that's really uh, the next wave. Uh, we just need the radioactivity around terms like NFTs to go down, which which I think will with like Reddit. That, that one, of, one of my favorite parts about this Reddit story is that um, because it's not kind of Ponzi-esque, at least for most people, they're just, they're just collecting cool cool avatars. Uh, they're able to talk about it more. And there's more coverage that you can do around NFTs that are like that and less like these hyper-scares PFP uh, collections where people are just buying the top. Uh, and so the more free that creators can, can can feel like they can talk about NFTs and do stuff on chain without people like jumping at them, uh, I think you know we're just like one or two creators away from all that opening up. So, so I actually think it. Uh, I, I'd love to discuss more in depth, and you've been discussing this on the Reddit side, and there's more aspects to that. Real quick, I want to throw in a breaking news story right now. Oh boy! A- Apple news. came out and uh, is not hiring. Uh, they've paused hiring through 2023. Uh, so that's uh, negative for the market, anticipating Oof. a recession. Big uh, oof. So, what were you going to say? I just said that's a big oof. That's a <laughs> uh, whoops. That's a, uh, so that's a lot a, of those yucky, a lot yucky. of those stocks are down. What's that? That's a, that's a big yuck. Um, I mean, like they're pretty much supporting the entire <laughs> like the entire stock market right now. Yes, uh, they're carrying it on their back uh, and they're having a tough time with it. So yeah, pausing hiring. I mean, is maybe also just indicative of them trying to uh, continue supporting it on their back. 
Um, I, yeah, that, that's not a good uh, report. But the thing that uh, Giancarlo, uh, let me just interrupt for a quick depressing update. Back to let's go to some uplifting, which is uh, what Giancarlo was mentioning. I'm actually curious, why do you think more YouTubers outside of our space, the NFT and crypto YouTube space, have not experimented at all with the NFT side of things. I, I mean, go ahead, Giancarlo. Then we'll throw it to Elliot. Go ahead, Giancarlo. It's just a PR around it, right? It's like, you know, the, there's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, there's a lot of hate, especially for some reason with, with young, young gamers. Uh, and a lot, you know, those are a lot of the, the fans that these, these big YouTubers have. And so it's just not, not worth it. And also, it's just not clear you know, there's like this unanswered question in the space, which is how do I release an NFT that doesn't end up feeling like a rug at the end of the day, right? And I, I don't think it's very clear unless it's like pure art. Uh, most of them end up with people pissed off. Uh, and, you know, how do you make money off something that doesn't end up like that? That's not really clear yet. And so I, I don't think the model is is there yet. And it's it just not worth it's just much easier to just say you hate NFTs and make that the headline and, and you're just going to get like pats on the back. But over, over time, I think that, you know, this, this is changing with, with these big platforms kind of jumping in. Elliot. Yeah. It's, it's actually to me kind of, it, it makes, it kind of makes me laugh just because I've seen this kind of like toxic overreaction from the people who benefit from something most is like the great irony of what's happening is that, you know, NFTs as themselves are, you know, they don't have a model. They're like canvas, you know, uh, to, to draw on. Uh, however, the reaction and the branding has led to, you know, bad associations. Um, and, you know, I keep going back to it, but like the in-game currency thing, you know, the gamers literally thought that was the devil. They were the, There was a movement against in-game currency. Uh, there wasn't a Twitch culture at the time, but there was a movement against in-game currency that was, that was, you know, overwhelming. And now, you know, there's not a single you know, popular game without in-game currency. So this is going to be just the case, which is once a game that the gamers like has NFTs in it and it's done in a way that is just value add, everyone will, you know, slowly but surely cave. And it's, there's kind of a, a, a benefit. And the, the good part of this is that once that happens and once there's this cultural moment, which is why, you know, my perspective on NFTs is kind of like you saw with the Reddit thing, it's a branding um, and it's a, uh, it's like a, you know, a trigger warning type of word, but it's not actually like people understand or care about the substance of what an NFT is. They just don't like the the culture and the marketing. And so um, there will be, you know, a, a transition there, like you saw with Reddit, you know, collectible digital avatars, and that'll happen in the NFT space. They won't call them NFTs. They'll call them something else. Um, and then people will like them. And, uh, and it'll happen really, really fast because the people who are super, super triggered are the ones who feel something and they're the one. And when you feel something that is a very powerful thing to work with, uh, because hate is love in a different way. And so these people love their games and they care about them. And so as soon as they are given something that they feel benefits the game experience for them, they'll become the opposite, right? They'll, their, their opinion will swing to extreme love and, and they'll be the biggest proponents. Um, so as much as it, you saw this, like what felt like a logical reaction from gamers, I see that as, as extremely fertile grounds for growing this new movement. Um, and same with like Reddit, right? You saw Reddit really hated, you know, they, there's a, there's a big negative, um, movement against NFTs that sort of was, was popular on Reddit. Again, uh, those people flipped very quickly into proponents. Um, and so you're just going to see that, right, where you'll have these like extreme reactions. It reminds me of, you know, how you saw Kevin O'Leary was like this extreme bear on cryptocurrency. And, and then all of a sudden now he's like Mr. Stablecoin and Mr. Crypto and Mr. DeFi. And so, you know, it, it, these things are, are kind of like... I don't laugh, but I think you can analyze it and step back and go, okay, are the loudest voices that are the angriest about this, are they, act and then of course, obviously YouTubers are going to start swerving it when they're like, hey, I don't want a rash of hate in my comments. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it'll happen, right? Like it, it'll, it'll be in a game first. The gamers will love it. They'll, they'll flip into proponents and then the YouTubers will cover it. And it'll be like a flood. That's my prediction. It'll start again with a, with a good game, but I keep going back to this. And, and one of the things that I talk about a lot more in the imposters radios and the imposters, um, sort of specific community is that it's not about a game with NFTs. It's about a cultural shift in understanding the power of ownership. 
And that's why it needs to focus on content creators. So like I see a lot of fun games out there and there's going to be a lot of really good gameplays, but even, you know, a fun gameplay and amazing graphics doesn't necessarily like alter the way the gaming industry functions or even like hit gaming culture. Um, so, you know, our, our entire focus is what we call content creation tools. And that's why we chose social deduction, which is fundamentally a uh, canvas for content creators to go and make videos about. Uh, that's what made, you know, games like Among Us popular. And so we're taking that thought process and extending it dramatically um, in sort of every direction uh, and, and really having sort of more of a platform for content creators approach and how can we give content creators new tools to make cool content and by doing that that's the way you know we see uh you can really you know change the narrative around nfts is by changing the way that that you know or at least having a game with nfts um sort of make it into into gaming culture um and it's not a question of if it's a question of when and um and yeah and so you know obviously that's that's my take is that of course you're going to see youtubers and content creators swerve it um because it's not popular. Um, but those same loud negative voices will flip uh, very quickly and they'll become the, the strongest supporters. Yeah, Kevin O'Leary used to call uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, he used to call everything crypto crap. And then now you watch him on on Pomp's podcast and he's just like an expert. He like knows more than I do now. It's like out of control. He went from literally dismissing the whole asset class to just going off. And I love to hear about you know the idea of Elliot building something that's focused on content creators. All four of us are content creators. Obviously, Elliot doing it for the longest. So you have to love the idea of building from the ground up with content creation in mind since we know the power of it. Nifty Nick, you got your hand raised. What's going on, amigo? Well, towards the end of what Elliot was just saying, something stood out. I I was going to mention there's two separate things. One is uh, what uh, Giancarlo was mentioning and uh, Elliot were mentioning as it applies to sort of... um, It feels like uh, basically uh, Reddit is kind of like pulling us in this direction. And, and you need some of these businesses to uh, lead uh, the charge forward. But what uh, Elliot mentioned towards the end, which is what really resonated with me, is this idea around the creator tools. So historically, prior to now, um, we saw a lot of the tooling des- uh, has really gone towards developers. And it's always been uh, developers. A lot of the tech companies have built infrastructure primarily for developers. Hey, go and, and there's a, a quote um, from Steve Ballmer where there's a video of him running uh, crazy around on stage yelling, developers, 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 developers. And if you speak to investors, uh, what they would also tell you is go build software. That's what you need to be building. All of the multiple. They're telling us on. to do that. They're it, literally it, like, go build software. I'm like, yeah. wait, should we? So, is, that, is that our business? But what's interesting to me is the, is the valuation around software is, is being compressed, especially SaaS products. I don't know what we're seeing with um, Salesforce historically is sort of the, uh, uh, the anchor tenant as it applies to, um, uh, to uh, valuation uh, for uh See, uh, SaaS businesses. They have a uh, $26 billion annual revenue and $152 billion. Uh, sorry, their market cap is $152 billion, which means that right now, SaaS businesses are being valued at somewhat, something like a 5.8 uh, revenue multiple, which is, sev- which is severely compressed from where it used to be, which is 10x multiple. Interestingly enough, we've seen Media businesses, I think of Politico and Axios, they're trading at multiples that are in excess of 5x revenue. I look at uh, the uh, the exception and there's an overlapping one, which we can categorize Mr. Beast as a separate one where I actually would put him in the consumer packaged good CPG business is actually where he's headed, uh, where the content is essentially the front end marketing engine for all the products that he's selling, which is very exciting. Um, and, and, and I think that there's a lot of excitement there, which means that I think seeing him operate, he's basically doing an immense favor for content creators everywhere to say that that's the future model. And if you look at that sort of business, then you say, okay, well, that's very interesting. Uh, I, I'm, I'm compelled to go invest in that space. And I think that media and uh, us seeing creator tools I mean, you and I, P.O., were discussing this the other day when we went to, uh, P.O. 
had a, a, a the light bulb moment went off. I saw in his eyes and emotions, and I had had a similar experience when you use the uh, iPhone Pro Max, basically, and you shoot video with it in cine, uh, in cinematic mode. You suddenly say, "Holy shit!" Like the the quality. I'm getting DSLR quality video, basically. The audio that we have, we have a wireless thing that costs I don't know 150 bucks or something like that. In the pocket of everybody, there used to be a gap. You'd go buy a $4,500 Sony camera, DSLR camera right now, which is even cheaper than uh, you know the DSLR revolution. But the creator tools that are showing up right now, you're going to be able to do full, full uh, film editing on your phone is where we're headed. And full creation on your phone is where we're headed. And when you see that, when you see the democratization of creation which the hurdle for shooting a video is way lower than you going and coding software. When you see the market valuing creation uh, on the art side, which is what the NFT revolution was last year, when you see uh, the valuing of media and content creation, which I I just make a distinction between art and still content, but uh, I still put a distinction between those two things. When you see that being valued in a way that's comparable to software businesses, holy shit, talk about a revolution. And it's very exciting to see where that's headed. And I think that uh, NFTs definitely could uh, play a part in that. But ultimately right now, um, we're still standing by to what Elliot was saying, which is content creator tools is really where it's at. And frankly, um, my one last comment, this is a classic rant, uh, which I'm sure Elliot is uh, really appreciating here, (laughs) which is, uh, which is, I went uh, the other day on my uh, bike. I, I have this uh, e-bike Super 73, which I love riding around uh, New York in and uh, got PO on board with this as well. And I tried streaming uh, TikTok and it was seamless. It was super easy to go just go stream. And I could go for probably two hours or an hour and a half with the battery that I have on there. I, we'll see what happens with the iPhone Max. But to, to just be able to go and create a live stream from your pocket is insane because Justin TV, when that first came out, who ironically is also the co-founder of Twitch, when he first created uh, Justin TV, there was a giant backpack with a laptop with a camera on his head and he looked like a complete doofus walking around in the street. And even up until last year, I'd say it's pretty apparent when you see these live streamers uh, rolling around, it's like apparent that they're doing live streaming. I now can uh, do this in a way that's almost not even visible and it just looks natural. And I'm walking, I'm going around with my uh, bike helmet on and everything. I just think the, the ability to go and create, the friction there has become effectively nothing um, and, and that's something, and the fact that it's being valued is, is just mind boggling. We're in the midst of a revolution. And I think NFTs is, is, it will inevitably, inevitably be a major part of that. Uh, so anyways, that, that's it for my rant. Sounds pretty good, huh, Elliot? Yeah, no, I, I mean, obviously your enthusiasm for, um, for, for these content creation tools is, is awesome. I mean, for me, it's been, a focus. It's something that we're pretty obsessed with. And, um, you know, I sort of have learned a lot of lessons from, uh, the past, which is, you know, you want to be able to, uh, hit your roadmap as fast as possible. And so, you know, with the imposters project, we put out sort of a roadmap centered around stuff that was uh, already built for the most part, uh, including, you know, the, the game and, and some of the staking mechanisms and smart contracts that we had already, you know, already built. Um, we are continuing to like iterate on the game before release because we wanted to get to a certain place. Um, but the stuff that we didn't talk about, because I don't want to be buried under, you know, um, you know, what I call Wenchella or Wenapalooza for years, uh, is the stuff that's really exciting, which is what we're really focused on is, seeing the game as more of a platform for content creation and tools for giving, uh, you know, YouTubers specifically, but also, you know, Twitch streamers, uh, the ability to entertain and the ability to monetize and the ability to uh, be different than their other content creators. And we believe that there is a, a blue ocean there of value that has not been tapped and that we've seen, you know, inklings of within certain games, but not a real purpose-built platform for those things. So that's the stuff that really gets me going 
doing is seeing, hey, how are people going to be creating in 2030? What kind of content is, you know, is this, you know, if, if you chart a path and you chart, you, you take a chart of like certain types of content, certain psychological um, associations with that content, and how does that progress over time? Yes, we are building a game that has currently, you know, is very resemblant of, um, you know, social deduction game. Uh, however, where it's going is is extremely, extremely unique, and we're super, super excited about that. And I just, I'm, I'm super like I, every day. It's like the most fun I've ever had at work getting to innovate around these ideas. And I'm really passionate about this change uh, to gaming as more of a platform, more of a cultural nexus than it is um, necessarily about the current like state of competitive gameplay that we've seen. Um, and so that's kind of where I believe that the strong NFT projects call them NFT projects are just, you know, projects or just companies or just, um, you know, uh, IP and, and, you know, innovations, the, the, the teams that are looking to, uh, do something new within gaming that works. I think that's where the magic is. Um, and then using web three to sort of layer in cool economics for creators and for stakeholders. Um, but you know, those are the things that I, you know, know enough to not blabber on too much about the specifics because I want us to do it and then ship it and then show it. Um, as opposed to, you know, saying something that might be a year and a half out and then everyone kind of gets bored of it along the way. Um, as opposed to having sort of like, you know, uh, mysterious reveals along the way, which I feel like is the way to keep people entertained. Love the perspective, Elliot. Love to hear from a content creator and video game maker. Also wanted to point out how impressed I am that Nick had his hand raised during his 11-minute monologue. So it's, usually you get you see the hand raised before the person gets a chance it, to speak. It was a in, lot of it, effort, dude. He, my, my arm was tired, but I knew that like people would listen if my hand was raised during that. Oh, it's a it's a statement. I'm going to start doing it. It's an authoritative mood, a uh, move. It gets everybody's attention. So look, so we talked about content creation. We talked about gaming in the NFT space and what the future could look like. You know, we touched upon at the beginning what the Fed could do. Everybody's watching this old man, Jerome Powell. Everyone's expecting a 75 basis point hike and then expecting or, or just uh, hanging on every indication on of what he's going to potentially imply next. It is really wild that this is the spot that we're in. You know, I think if we were going to cover one story of the NFT space today, Nick covered the weird backstory of it. But the the real story is that Art Gobblers, at the beginning of the show, I haven't had open, see, uh, open during the show because I've been listening to our talented speakers here. But at the beginning of the show, the floor was 24 ETH. Right now, it looks like it's pulled back to 18 ETH. So selling at 17.65 minutes ago, 19.897 minutes ago, that's $31,000, uh, ladies and gentlemen. And people seem to be bullish on this thing. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Elliot, you know, we talked about it on the show yesterday. You said that you weren't interested in participating right now. Um, I'd love to hear from you what you think about it here. I'd love to hear from Giancarlo on it. What, what do we think of Art Gobblers here, the story of the NFT market today on November 2nd? Well, first of all, any any gains in a market like this is hard-earned, right? That's That's one of the things I'd like to point out is that there's no real, um, you know, I don't like... Uh, what is it? Ivan on Tech had this epic rant uh, years ago where he said, you know, when you when you hate on something that you're not holding for pumping, you're rejecting the pump from your heart and you need to let the pump into your heart. You know, you need to respect the, respect the pump. Respect the pump. <laughs> and, um, and that's sort of how I feel, right? You got you have to respect the pump. A uh, shout out, Ivan, wherever you are. Um, and that's, that's like a, a philosophical thing of like, I'm never, ever mad when I see people winning. Like, I'm so happy for them. I'm so happy for them. Um, now me personally, like going back to why I do this is I believe I see a trend in society that is going to eventually happen. And that over the course of this, once we get past, you know, these, these, you know, monthly episodes of the FOMC and this inflationary bear market and, and this whole macro storm becomes like a, a distant memory. Um, we will once again be focused on these tr these changes and trends, um, and that's why I'm excited. Is is because once we figure out where we are in this, we can go back to the this thing that is. I've never been so convinced of anything in my life that something is for sure happening, and it's a change in society that you can actually make money from. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. And so, yeah, like the FOMC stuff is interesting in in so far as it lets us know when we can go back to focusing on 
the project specific stuff um, and the actual changes in society that are meaningful. Um, but for now, it's, you know, all eyes are on this macro stuff. And yeah, the art gobblers, like I won't be buying it. I'm, I'm happy for everyone. I wish you all well. I think that it's something interesting to look at. There's a lot of, you know, uh, beard scratching sort of factors around it that I'll be studying. Um, but no, I won't be whipping out the wallet at, at any price for art gobblers, but I wish everyone the best. I hope it goes to infinity and beyond. You heard it here first. Elio Trades will not be deploying $20,000 a pop on art gobblers here in the mania. There's a little bit of a liability in owning those at this point in time. I think that's kind of where we're at at this point. Uh, I'm not going to be supporting uh, the the broader pedophile movement. Okay, okay. Got uh, so, yeah. it. We understand the backstory. Giancarlo, uh, excluding you know some of the drama that, that Nick is stirring up here, uh, I'd love to know what you think. You're, you're incredibly good, in my opinion, at analyzing these digital assets, and I don't think that you just blindly ape, so I'd love to know what you think of Art Gobblers. Yeah, I, I don't own any Art Gobblers. Um, I, think, I think what people need to understand is that this is primarily a game uh, it is, you know, it's not like a profile pick, open-ended brand. It's not one of those. Uh, it is more like a board game than like a video game, like like how the mechanics work. Uh, and it revolves around art collecting, right? And so the players are art collectors who enjoy art and want to own that art. And you gobble that art and you basically create an art gallery with your gobbler. Uh, and it may, maybe you sell that down the road or maybe that's just like, you know, for, for your family estate. I don't know. Um, now, personally, I don't know anybody that has bought an R gobbler at these price points that isn't just flipping it, you know, like a few hours down, down, the, down the road, or that's their plan. I don't know anyone who has, has paid 15 ETH and they're like, I'm a, I'm a long-term holder of this. I believe in the game. Uh, I'm sure there, there's, there's, you know, many of those people out there. Uh, there's only 900 owners. Uh, and so really, you know, just like any other web three games since you know, the beginning of time, you're going to have a group of people who maybe like the game, and then probably a larger group of people that are in there to min-max tokens, um, you know, flip flip the, the assets, you know, grow, grow the Ponzi, basically, is what many of these games come down to. And so for me, it's like, you know, I look at the timeline and I see a lot of people like uh, talking about how they're going to min-max goo and the best strategies for that. Uh, it reminds me very much of like a DeFi project. And in fact, you do see like a lot of the DeFi crowd. Some of them have like DAOs where they're sweeping gobblers. I don't see as much around the artists and the art and, you know, the actual gameplay of it. And so like, it, it, it really, I don't think a, a single soul knows what's going to happen. I don't even think paradigm knows, knows how this is going to play out. I think it's pretty uncharted and there's nothing to compare it to. Um, but really like, it just comes down to like, okay, who are these 900 people that own gobblers right now? And what are their motivations? And are they planning to buy art? Cause, cause remember you buy the gobbler, but then you have to you deploy more ETH to buy art to feed to the gobbler. Right. So it's like, at least if you're playing the game, uh, and so, yeah, I just, I just don't know. I personally haven't met anyone. You know, if we, if we find someone who is in it for the long term and has bought it at a, at a high price, I'd love to hear their, their motivation. But, you know, right now it seems unclear. Well, look, I, when I look at who the 900 people that own it, I'm not seeing the crowd that uh, like the DC investor crowd that owns like art blocks, like that owns Fidenzas and QQLs and Meridians and Ringers and insert, you know, the Cosmo de Medici's of the world. I'm not seeing that those folks own these art gobblers. I'm seeing the more traditional like animal picture uh, owners. Basically, if, if I, if you really boil down the NFT market over the past year it's the the best performing stuff is generative art so in other words like art blocks type stuff i mean literally just art blocks and maybe some one-off other generative art things and then animal pictures those are the top two performing asset classes within the nft uh, vertical for sure and i'm not seeing the fine arts i'm not seeing the cosmo de medici's and the uh you know dc investor type folks getting into art uh, gobblers nick you have your hand raised do you have some thoughts on this well, yeah, I, I'm thinking maybe what we should do is start taking actual photographs of animals so that we have animal pictures and sell that instead and see how that pans out. Um, and, and we can then ride that trend. But yeah, I, I think you're spot on. I don't think that um, there's been... What I would actually describe a large portion of the uh, PFP market as is essentially uh, gimmicks. Like, I think that uh, uh, gimmicks are like where you look at staking, where you look at like, uh, we call it, uh, we call it 
gaming, but a lot of it is just like not at, not real gaming. It reminds me of like the Facebook gaming days or social gaming days when people would make like a BBS level game, which was like you go around the corner and you see a demon. Do you A, attack the demon or do yeah. you run from the demon? And so, so it's, it's not exactly Grand Theft Auto, right? Not it's, exactly Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. And so, um, as exciting as some of those things are in the sense that, like, of testing on chain uh, sort of technology, we haven't seen a lot of those things uh, pushed. But the buyer of a PFP based on some of these dynamics is just completely different than uh, an art buyer. So I, I don't think that traditionally we would see uh, DC investor buy into this regardless of uh, the fact that uh, it, outside of all of the uh, stuff about the videos that they've produced, like yeah, legitimate- just purely off the, the, off the art, this is like more of a cartoon animal buyers well, type of thing. Well, it's not an art project. It's a PFP project. Yes. PFP projects are- uh, I'm selling you a uh, an NFT product, and it, here this happens to be the design. Whereas uh, an art uh, project is this is the design, and that's what I'm selling you. Uh, and so that that ends up being the the general gist uh, with these things. Yeah, I mean, we see it even with our NFT. There's literally people that enjoy our content, that believe in us, that won't buy our NFT because it's an art project and it's not an animal picture. So you get both sides of it, right? And then there's other people that might enjoy it more because it is a piece of art. The other thing that we've kind of touched upon on the different shows, I don't have all the details, but I think it's worth surfacing, is just the connection between uh, Blur the new platform being released and this collection. I mean, uh, it, it seems as though they kind of go hand in hand, this collection uh, and, you know, the Blur platform. So, uh, look, you can say it's a tinfoil hat thing, but in the NFT space, nothing seems to be happening, uh, you know, by accident. So I just want to float that out there. I, I'm not Kix, who does incredible research, you know, in discords, behind the scenes, and on the blockchain, uh, you know, when it comes to this stuff. So I don't want to like go too far down that rabbit hole because I'm going to sound really uninformed. I just wanted to surface it because I smarter people than me have brought it up a couple times, and I think it does make sense, especially given how much uh, kind of you know fuckery, for lack of a better term we see in the NFT space constantly. Like people just love to kind of pull one over on you in the NFT space. It's just how it works. Um, last couple things here. I mean, look, we're going to wrap. So we have the digit, digital asset analyst extraordinaire, Giancarlo. Uh, Giancarlo, I brought up generative art. I brought up like art blocks and stuff. What do you think of that as a long-term investment? Elliot brought up the idea of thinking about what's going to happen in 2030, you know, like, where are we going to be at in 2030, eight years, seven years from now? What will you want to own then? Do you think that generative art, art block, stuff like that, do you think they're going to continue to accrue value or do you think they'll be a fad from 2021, 2022? I mean, I think there's a lot of room for growth. If you, if you consider that the traditional art market hasn't arrived yet. And so there's a lot of money there. If you look at how much, you know, just the market cap of, of the art market in general. So that is like a, like a path for growth. I do think that Right now, art has a pretty large percentage of the attention in the space. Uh, and I think that is just going to be down only forever. Uh, like, I think in terms of, you know, the, when gaming comes in and uh, interactive media and all these, like, amazing on-chain things that we haven't really discovered yet, uh, that's just going to create all these new verticals while art, um, you know, can evolve. But it's, it's, a, it's a fairly more static genre. Right. And I think that uh, unless you start adding like gamification layers on that, uh, I think just the attention of that is just going to be is going to be down only like right now. You know, the, the origins of the NFT space was in crypto art. So at one point it was like 100 percent of the space. Uh, right now, it's it's a pretty still a large percentage of, of the attention and the, and the money because a lot of the the wealthiest people are art collectors. Uh, but eventually you'll start seeing people spend millions of dollars on game assets or Mr. Beast's assets or whatever. Uh, and so. For me, I, you know, it's it's very interesting. If you actually like art, you know, there there is you can make a thesis around, like I said, the the trad art market coming, but it's just not as exciting as as some of the things I think we're going to see in, in the next few years. Fair For enough. Me, 
Yeah, uh, uh, I, I think I think you point something out, but, but I'd like to remind everyone that video games are the combination of literally every art form and that, you know, it will shift shape to having sort of quote artist releases in interactive media and stuff. So I, I think things will come together. Um, but just to echo that point, you know, I did this really deep dive into generative art. I had like kind of like a, um, a kind of, you know, uh, uh, let's just say I got in with the Fidenza crowd, I think is a better way to put it. And uh, their passion for these assets really, really infected me and spread to me. And I started covering it and um, and sort of bringing the concept of generative art, which is, you know, the art is effectively encapsulated within the actual code of the Ethereum block instead of it being linked as a as an image stored uh, on an external server, which is the way, you know, most NFTs do it. Uh, this generative art thing actually has, you know, you could argue it's a new format um, only made possible uh, with this provenance by blockchain. So, like, it's in many senses the most native uh, and most authentic new form of art being done on the blockchain. So I think there's definitely like that narrative that that I like. And the way I'll, I'll think about it, and this is one um, that I think that that I'd actually believe is true is that the supply of generative art is is exponential, and so you really have to think, okay, with so much uh, generative art hitting the market every year, uh, more and more each year, with more and more people looking at art blocks and thinking, how can I innovate around that and create another version or, or a better version of that? Um, what you want to look back is, and, and and this is something that I think makes it kind of hard to plan is you want to look for grails. You want to look for the stuff that is the top 0.1% of the market because those are the only things that I see actually holding value. And I think it's going to be an ocean between the grails and everything else. And I think, every, I think most things go to zero uh, because of the sheer supply. Um, but the grails, uh, the real, you know, significant pieces uh, are potentially museum pieces uh, in, in the not too distant future. And so it's about, you know, uh, art collectors will be the ones to decide and tastemakers will be the ones to decide which those are. Um, but, you know, that's why I still am, you know, even though USD values, I'm down. Um, you know, I'm still in ETH values hovering around where I made my Fidenza buy. And, um, and yeah, so I still have confidence that I think Fidenzas and things like that, that are, you know, sort of not necessarily by me, but by the art community agreed upon as meaningful, um, works, especially if you have, you know, slightly rare ones within those collections, like Chromie Squiggles, if you have like a slightly cool Chromie, um, or, or squiggle, uh, then, you know, those are the types of works. And, and there's a, there's a longer list of course that I think will be meaningful. And so it's really about understanding that it'll probably be a grail market, not a, not just in every collection that's generative or art blocks will succeed. I think, I think many, if not most or all, almost all will fail. It's just a question of understanding where, where that, you know, historical and, and special value is. Love the analysis. John Carl, you have your hand raised a closing yeah. thought on this? Yeah, just wanted to kind of clarify that you know I, I do think Grails would, would will are still obviously going to to do very well and and the bigger story is that the you know good artists can now make a lot more money than than they've ever made, been able to make in the past and and there's just a larger pool of artists that can now make a, a good living making art. Um, my my uh, point is more along the lines of like okay if we look at you know the, the NFT space right now let's call it half a million people if you look at when it's fifty when it's a hundred million people. Uh, I don't think we're going to see a much larger percentage of the of the you know just normal population of people buying art where they weren't buying before. Like I just don't see a lot more people being converted to it. Uh, doesn't mean that the people that don't like it are maybe going to spend more money uh, as more people are paying attention to digital assets. Maybe uh, these pieces just just get more money. Uh, but in general, I think the average person is you know I don't believe that you know we're just going to see this huge shift in just people on the street talking about. Fidenzas and, and, and things like that. That's my point. It'll take time. Uh, to close, Elliot, any thoughts on what we could see from uh, Jay Powell, from Jerome P., uh, the old man that has our future in his hands? Yeah, I mean, popcorn at the ready. Uh, we, we'll have to just analyze his speech, really. That's what everybody's saying is just right now, like, there's not really, you know, all the opinions are out there. Uh, it seems like 75 basis points is is what the market is 100% expecting right now. And then the question is, is, is there going to be some kind of easing off pressure? 
uh, or is there not? You know, we just have to see what he says, right? And uh, know that essentially these days, these FOMC days are some of the biggest volatility days. Uh, so traders are, are licking their lips at just knowing the market's going to move a lot and they can take advantage of it. Um, but, you know, <laughs> nothing to do but to sit and watch and, and listen. Obviously, if he, if he says another 75 basis points uh, in December, that would mean that he's not slowing down. If he if he pivots, and he, or not pivots, I don't want to use that word because that's, that's eff- effectively that word has just become garbage. So we should stop using it. It's, it's lost all meaning. Um, but if he indicates that there might be a uh, 50 basis points hike only in December, then that's what would set the market ablaze with people saying they're be starting the pivot. And that's what we could get. And if that happens and the market goes bananas uh, in anticipation of a pivot that is not necessarily confirmed as a pivot, that's where I think we get potentially an opportunity uh, where the market really uh, pumps and, and there's a short opportunity because the reality is that we don't know what the pivot is and higher for longer, even if they slow down to 50 basis points hike, they could keep hiking or keep it tighter for longer uh, in order to control inflation. Remember, inflation is the only thing we need to control right now. Uh, that's my two cents. And uh, yeah, I'll be sitting here. Uh, I'll be making some content today about it. I'm trying to break it down. But uh, again, uh, his body language, every single word choice he uses is going to be you know analyzed and reanalyzed and skewered into infinity, which is just super weird. <laughs> Love it. We'll have to get an FBI agent on the show uh, next time to do a little live stream of Jay Powell's body language. Can't wait to talk about this on the show tomorrow. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Web3 show. We do the show Monday through Thursday, 9 a.m. Pacific time, 12 p.m. Eastern time. Shout out to the West Coasters. Shout out to those across the pond. I'm broadcasting live from London right now from NFT London. Nick, you got your hand raised in the, in the outro. Yeah. I just want to say here. shout out to myself, man. You keep crushing okay. It, dude keep showing okay. up every day man you're absolutely destroying uh destroying you know life and i i want to i want to thank you for that nick you're, you're the best nick <laughs> uh, thank you to elliot uh the actual best content creator gaming uh enterprise creator extraordinaire check out imposters check out elio trades on youtube one of the biggest crypto youtube channels badass interviews being dropped on there left and right uh check out john carlo buys tokens on youtube it was a real pleasure having john carlo on both shows today we always love to get his analysis hopefully this is the this was like the serene that puts the Twitter Spaces hook into him. Hopefully, we've made a Twitter Spaces junkie out of Giancarlo. He'd be a, a very great addition to the Twitter Spaces ecosystem. And check out Nifty Nick. He already told you he's the best. Uh, check out the Nifty Portal, our NFT. And we will see you all tomorrow for the last show of the week. Have a good one, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs>